It's good to, to remember who our God is. And I hope that as we've worshiped today and as we open up the scriptures that, that you grow in your sense and your conviction of who your God is, the God that you serve, the God that saved you, the God that loves you, the God that sustains you, the God that heals you, the God that guides you, the God who is here among us. Amen. Well, uh, this week, my family and I had the opportunity to go and, and watch the movie Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and uh, we, we like those movies. I, you may or may not. You may have your opinion about them, and I, I can pretty much promise you that I'm not going to do any spoilers right now if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, but I will mention this, that somewhere in the movie there is a throne, and there is the mention of, of who claims the right to that throne and, and who should uh, be able to succeed in that rule of the galaxies. And, uh, and, and it, there's something about epic stories that always has to do with thrones, isn't there? Uh, whether it's seven kingdoms and an iron throne or, or whether it's on Middle Earth and you have the kingdom of Rohan or Rivendell or Gondor, you, you hear these stories and they're um, fascinating, this, this struggle uh, of kings and kingdoms and armies claiming a right to the throne. And, and if it's fascinating to, to follow kingdoms on earth, the idea of, of a kingdom that would be over galaxies is, is even more grandiose. The idea that, that, that someone could actually exercise a rule over the universe is breathtaking. You and I, I know, champion our freedom as good old Americans. We, we like to make our own choices. We like to have a sense that we're autonomous and we're somehow masters of our own destiny. But, but somehow all of us, regardless of our background or religious convictions, we, we wonder who is really in charge? Who sits on the throne of the universe? Because our hearts long for, for a rule. Our, our, longs, our hearts long for a government of righteousness and, and peace. We, we long for an order in our universe. Today, we finish our Posada is a Room for Jesus series. We've been uh, looking and asking this question, is there room for Jesus in your heart? Is there room for you with Jesus when he returns? Uh, and, and today we come to the end of this series and, and we come to a story where uh, we see a contest of a throne and a star. And it's not a Star Wars story, it's not a Game of Thrones story, it's not the Lord of the Rings story, it's an even more epic story. It's a transcendent story, it's a story that really matters. And, and I wonder if you know the one who rules on that throne. I wonder if you know this king. I wonder if that king rules in your heart. I wonder if you know your place in that epic story. 
Let's go to it. It's a familiar story to many of you, so I like to read it from, from the message version. It's, it's found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, sometimes when we're familiar with Bible stories, it's good to read them from a different translation and, and just catch the, the freshness of the story that, that sometimes maybe we we dismiss because of the familiarity. So allow me to read Matthew chapter two, beginning with verse one. And it reads like this in Eugene Peterson's The Message. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him Bethlehem, Judah territory, the prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged <clears throat> a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were. He got them to tell him exactly what the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, go find this child, leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word and I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again. The same star they had seen in the eastern skies, it led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod. So they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen and returned to their own country. What a fascinating story. You know, a few days ago, there was a report released by astronomers who, who have been observing uh, something kind of strange in the constellation Orion. That there's a star, uh, some pronounce it Betelgeuse, uh, this, this star that, that has been one of the brightest stars in the Orion constellation. But uh, astronomers are noticing that ever since October, it got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and it reaches dimmest point uh, somewhere around December 19th or 20th. And, and they're, they're looking at this phenomenon with, with anticipation because they, they suspect that what is happening is this star that, is, that has been around for such a long time and has been such a crucial part of this constellation, it's about to, to explode into a supernova. And it's going to get really, really bright. It will be noticeable uh, by the naked eye on Earth, and then it will just disappear. And, and, you know, people that watch the stars, people that do this for a living, get really excited about this kind of thing. 
It's fascinating. And, and they anticipate that they're not sure if this will happen during their own lifetime or, or if it'll happen to, during the next generation. But, but they have their eyes set on this event. And, and so, two millennia ago, there were those who were looking at the constellations, who, who were studying the skies, who noticed something extraordinary. And what is the significance of that? What, why, why is it important that men from the East, that scholars from, from the Orient would notice some anomaly in the heavens? Well, let me suggest three things to you this morning as we look at this story. And, and the first one is, is that it means that God is bigger than one country. When God came to earth, he, he came to a specific town. He came to the town of Bethlehem. When, when God uh, broke into time and space, when, when, when the God of the universe became human, he, he chose a, a local little town, the town of Bethlehem, and, 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 and this eternal God chose to have a birthday. This God who is omnipresent, who can be everywhere at the same time, chose to confine himself to a manger, to, to a little village in a specific region. But, but lest we think that God is a regional God, lest we think that Jesus is the patron saint of Bethlehem, lest we think that, that God is only the God of Judah, that God of the heavens got the attention of some foreigners from a far away country via a star somewhere east of Judah. Scholars who, who studied the stars and the constellations noticed something spectacular, something extraordinary, a star in the sky that, that shone brighter than he had ever shone before. And, and somehow, some way, they understood that it signaled the birth of a king, a king of another people group, a king of a different country. One extra biblical tradition suggests that there were three magi, three kings, if you would, they came from different regions of the world. They even gave them names. Balthasar of Arabia and Melchor of Persia and Gaspar of India. Well, uh, the Bible doesn't say how many there were. We know there were three gifts, but it doesn't tell us how many scholars were in the pilgrimage. It, it doesn't tell us their names. It doesn't tell us where they're from, but, but the tradition got something right. They came from a far away country in the east. And it could have been what we now know as Saudi Arabia. It could have been Iran. It could have been Iraq. They could have come from what we know as southern Turkey. It, they could have come from Syria. They came from a different country. It, it's difficult to believe that, that these scholars, as learned as they were, as as much as they knew, it's difficult to believe that somehow they were able to figure out that this star signaled the birth of the Messiah. What did they know about a Jewish Messiah? They were not Jewish. What, what did they know about the Torah and the prophecies? How, how were they able to tell that, that this star that was shining bright on that occasion signaled the birth 
of the king of the Jews. Well, I'm convinced that the God who made the stars, that the God who put the planets in place, that the God who rules the galaxies decided to help them connect the dots. That this was a revelation of God, that this was an epiphany, that this was God revealing himself so that they could know this was a transcendent event for humanity. God wanted the world to know that he is bigger than one country. Jesus came to the little town of Bethlehem, but he's bigger than Bethlehem. Some years ago, there was a department store that decided to have uh, a collection of international Santa Clauses. And anytime you mention the word collection to my wife, you get her attention. And so uh, we began to be a part of these issues that came out every year. This department store would release a certain number of international Santa Claus. And, and my wife has a, a spiritual conviction that she should not pay full price for anything. And, uh, and I agree, I, I, I second that motion. Uh, so uh, we were there on the day after Christmas when things go on 50% off, looking for what was the recent releases that year. And so over the years, uh, she got this collection of Santa Clauses that includes Sinterklaas from the Netherlands and Father Christmas from England and Babushka from Russia and Starman from Poland, La Befana from Italy, Santa Claus from the US, Julianese from Scandinavia, Christkindle from Germany, Santa Claus from Switzerland, Jultumen from Sweden, Pancho Navidad from Mexico, that's a stretch. <laughs> Kawansa from Africa, Irish Father Christmas, Black Peter from the Netherlands, the Three Magi from Spain, Saint Nicholas from Austria, Padre Nicolas from Brazil, Nice old father from China, old Nick from Belgium, African-American Santa from the US, Christ child with angel in Venezuela, and on and on it goes. It, it was really interesting, sometimes stereotypical, but, but one of the things that catches my attention is that even in a commercial observance of Christmas, even secular stores realize that Christmas is bigger than one country. Even those who, who don't have a, a lot of religious meaning to their Christmas celebration understand that Christmas transcends national borders, that the Jesus who was born in Bethlehem is bigger than one country or that one region. He's bigger than the USA. He's bigger than the UK. He's bigger than all of the Latin American countries put together. He's bigger than Germany, and he's bigger than China, and he's bigger than Russia. And, and as we think about this story, we open our hearts to, to this majestic Jesus that is bigger than, than one country. And, and as we do, we, we open our arms to the nations, don't we? You know, when, when the Magi arrived at the house where the child Jesus was, even as a child, Jesus welcomed foreigners. He welcomed the Magi. He welcomed me. He welcomed you. So how are we opening our hearts to welcome the nations? Secondly, I, I, I want to suggest to you that God is bigger than one clan. The Magi identified Jesus as a newborn king of the Jews. The, the Jews were one of Israel's tribes that, that you know, there were 
12 sons of Israel, and so there were 12 tribes, but somewhere along the line in, in the exile, these tribes left uh, the, the Holy Land, and, and then there was the, the tribe of Judah that, that returned to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, and, and the people of Judah came to be known as the Jews. And so here you have one tribe, and Herod is the Roman government-approved king of the Jews. And when the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, he is threatened by their announcement. He wants to be the only king of the Jews. He, he doesn't want to know about any other child that's been born to claim this throne. He's a tyrannical ruler who, who goes through great lengths to keep his power. And, and when Herod was upset, everyone got upset. When Herod was nervous, everyone got nervous. Because he, he was crazy. He never knew. Whenever he, he would lose his cool, you never knew if people would get arrested or beaten or executed. And so, so he made the whole town nervous. You know, everyone has that kind of a, a little volatile family member in extended families, don't we? You get into this Christmas gatherings and reunion and there's always a crazy uncle or crazy aunt that everybody's scared that someone will trigger something and they'll go off and they'll ruin the whole holiday. A lot of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Now you take that crazy family member and you inject a ton of steroids and you get Herod. And people were nervous about him. The continuation of the story shows that Herod was uh, obsessed with maintaining his power as the king of the Jews of, of this tribe. Herod attempts to trick the Magi and, and, and he tells him, look, uh, I want you to find out where this baby was born and, and come back and tell me so that I too can worship him. Some of us might have gotten excited and said, ooh, we think we converted Herod. No, he was being a hypocrite. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. But the God who, who is big enough to reveal Jesus' birth to scholars from the East was was big enough to reveal to them not to report back to Herod. The God who is bigger than one clan and one king, the God who, who is big enough to reveal to Joseph that Mary would conceive as a virgin was big enough to reveal to him that Herod wanted to kill his baby son. You, you look at the rest of the story there in Matthew 2, verse 13. It, it says, after the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother under cover of darkness. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile fulfilled what Hosea had preached. I called my son out of Egypt. Isn't it interesting that the child Jesus and his parents became political refugees? Because the king wanted to, to kill baby Jesus, they had to take their family in the middle of the night and, and flee. Jesus starts out his childhood in exile as a migrant refugee, born in Bethlehem, but raised in Egypt. Even there, 
God wants to show us that he's bigger than one clan. Jesus was born among the Jews, but, but God is not just a Jewish God. God is bigger than a tribe. God is bigger than the Jewish tribe. He's bigger than any people group. For God so loved the world. That means he loved the Jews, but he also loved the Arabs. That means he loves the Europeans, but he also loves the Africans. That means he loves my people group, but he also loves every single people group on earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Herod was threatened by the birth of Jesus. And when he found out that the Magi had returned to their own country secretly without reporting back to him, he ordered every baby and toddler in Bethlehem to be killed. Can you believe that? It's written there in verse 16. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years old and under who lived in Bethlehem and his surrounding hills. He determined that age from information he had gotten from the scholars. That's when Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled. A sound was heard in Ramah, weeping and much lament. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel refusing all solace. Her children gone, dead, and buried. Herod was obsessed with power over one tribe, but Jesus came to be the king over all tribes. He came for more than one people group. See, human nature is tribal. There is something in our sinful nature that makes us to be exclusive. We, we naturally write people off. We naturally leave people outside of, of our own circles. That's our sinful nature. Tribalism looks down on those outside of its own kind. Tribalism makes haters out of people. I read a headline this morning that, that saddened me. Yes, last night in New York, in a rabbi's home, they were observing Hanukkah. And there were several families that were observing this Jewish festival and, and someone went into this rabbi's home with a large knife and stabbed five people in the middle of their celebration. This is not the Middle Ages. This is not the ancient world. This is 2019 USA. And people are still hating. They're still being tribal. And Jesus came to do away with that. Our God is not a tribal God. Our God is bigger than one clan. He is the God of all tribes. He's the God of all peoples. He's the God of all nations. He's the savior of the world. I, I miss being with you last Sunday, but we had the opportunity to go with my in-laws to, to their church in Fort Worth. And, and we always enjoy that I, it's always nice to sit there and, and hear someone else preach and, and enjoy the worship. And, and uh, it's an English speaking church. And, and, uh, and, and so we're used to that. But I noticed when I got my bulletin as I came in and I opened it up that they offered not just services in English and not just services in Spanish, but there were services in Burmese and in Swahili. And I thought that is so cool that this church it's just like what happened at the birth of Jesus. It's a welcoming church. 
It welcomes people from all nations. Open your heart to this God who loved the whole world and who loves you. He welcomed you. The God who came in the person of Jesus in Bethlehem is the God with open arms, welcoming humble shepherds from the nearby fields and rich scholars from the east. Welcoming and being inclusive. Open your arms to, to those who are outside of your own circles. Who are the people that you write off? Who are the people that you quickly dismiss? Who are the people that you look down on? Because Jesus came for them too. And we are called to open our arms to them. Third and final, God is bigger than one church. God is bigger than one expression of church. God is bigger than the biggest mega church in the country. God is bigger than any one denomination or religious tradition. We don't know what religion the Eastern scholars were. The Bible doesn't tell us, but they were most likely not Jewish. They, they didn't know the Torah. They, they probably were pagans. And, and the interesting thing is that when these people from the East who are not Jewish religion people arrive in Jerusalem, the Jewish religious scholars the, the, the ones that knew the Bible had not received the announcement about the birth of Jesus. Did you pick up on that? They are caught by surprise. When the scholars show up and they begin to ask about the birth of the Messiah, they go, oh, well, we don't know. Let's, I think there's something in our scrolls about that. You know how the religious scholars, the, the priests and the scribes in Jerusalem, you know how they found out about the birth of the Messiah? Some Eastern pagans announced it to them. Isn't that amazing? You know why? Why did God not reveal it to, to the Jewish religious scholars? Why did he reveal it to these Eastern scholars? Because God can reveal himself to whomever he wants to reveal himself to. He's not confined by our religious traditions no one church or religious group has a monopoly on God. No one denomination or church tradition has the monopoly on truth. God is bigger than all that you think you know about God. Now, hear me, and please do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying that all religions lead to God. I'm not saying that every single religion on the planet is true. I, I believe with all my heart that God revealed himself through the person of, of Jesus, that, that he is the word that was in the beginning and was with God and was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. I believe that, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That is my conviction. That is the truth of God. Yeah, I, I, I like this exchange that David Platt talked about in, in having with people from other religious convictions that, that were arguing that all religions lead the, to the same place. And he said, let me understand what you're saying. Are you saying to me that you believe that, that all religions are like different pathways up a mountain, but everybody is going to end up in the same place? 
And they said to him, yes, that's, that's what we think. All religions are, are, are different paths up a mountain. And, and, and when everybody gets up there, they'll find the same God, the same destiny. And David Platt, what if I were to tell you that, that the Christian faith is about a God who came down from the mountain to where we were and he met us where we were and then he carried us up the mountain because we could never find our way on our own. That's the gospel. It's not about finding our way to God. It's about a God who made his way to us in Jesus Christ. And we're convinced that God revealed his truth in him. But as much as we can be convinced that Jesus is the answer, we must be humble in our learning from him. We must be smart enough like the Magi to distinguish between God's revelation and our own religious tradition. Folks, it's not always the same thing. I, I had recently a, a little Twitter debate with someone. I posted something and this person found out that I'm Baptist and he started challenging my denominational uh, beliefs and started asking me and I started answering his questions. And, and, and he began to attack uh, my own tradition and began to, uh, you know, quote history and, and beliefs and doctrines. And, and his point was to, to show me that his religious tradition was the true one and that outside of his religious tradition, which was the right one, that there was no salvation. In fact, he said, look, because you're not part of my church tradition, you're going to hell. And I said, well, thank you, that was nice, but uh, let's keep that conversation going. And, and as he kept on debating with me, I kept on referring to the scriptures and I kept referring to Jesus Christ. He kept referring to his church. I referred to the scriptures and to Jesus, he kept referring to his church. And after a back and forth, I said, look, it seems to me that, that you are bent on showing me that you belong to the right church and I belong to the wrong church. And if that's what you're trying to do, I'm not interested in this conversation because I'm not interested in which one is the right church, I'm interested in who is the right savior. And I want to let you know that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that I believe that the Bible is God's word. And, and I, I, yes, I call myself a Baptist and, and, and I know why I do and I have my convictions about that. And yes, I call myself an evangelical theologically, although not politically. And I have my convictions and I know why and, and I consider myself Protestant. And I have my convictions and I know why, but I'm not trusting on any of that. My trust is not on my religious tradition. My trust is on Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, who went to the cross to die for my sins, who rose from the dead and who ascended to heaven and is King of kings and Lord of lords. My faith, my trust, my destiny is bound in him. He's bigger than any one church. Is bigger than any tradition. It matters what we believe. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It matters what convictions we have, but we must be humble and admit that all truth is God's truth. If there is something that is true, then it comes from God. It doesn't matter whether scientists discover it or researchers discover it, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in, in the beauty of creation, if it's true, 
And if it's, and if it's beautiful, it comes from God. He reveals himself through his word and his ultimate revelation is in Jesus Christ. And my mind and my heart must remain open to his revelation, just like the heart and mind of the Eastern scholars who didn't have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they looked up at the skies and they were open to a God who wants to show himself, who wants to show his truth to those who are ready to receive it and learn it. The God who came down to earth in the form of a child is a big God who sits on a big throne and who requires big worship. So open your heart, open your arms to him. God revealed the birth of Jesus to scholars from the East because Christ came for all nations. So you and I are invited today to open our heart to God's revelation of himself beyond our own immediate context and to embrace his purpose. One, one of the great things that happened this week for me was a conversation I had with, with a cousin of mine who lives in Monterey, Mexico. I, it was his birthday a couple of days ago and, and I called him and, and to wish him a happy birthday. And, and he said, thank you so much. He goes, look, I have something to tell you. And I said, what is that? He goes, you know how you, you and your family always share the gospel with me when I was a little kid? And you know how you always took me to, to camp uh, and, and I, I, would, I would like the songs and the stories, but I would get back home and I would just go back to, to the old ways. He says, now I want you to know that recently I found the church in my, in my city in Monterey and I'm going to the church and I'm remembering that I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And I'm so excited about that. I'm so thankful for what you invested in my life all those years because you showed me the way and I was so happy. That was one of the best Christmas gifts I could receive. That somewhere far away from me, at the distance, God is working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. That's my God. We have someone in our home fellowship who, who has five sons and she's always praying for them and, and wanting them to come to the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ and, and we get to pray and, and be by her as she uh, prays for them and shares with them. And, and Kevin, her fourth son, recently made a, a decision to follow Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And, and he lives in another state, in another city but he came to McAllen for Christmas. And he said, while I'm in McAllen, I wanna be baptized. And so uh, I was out of town, but I told the group, you guys do it. He wanted to do it on Christmas day. Would you like to see that video? Christmas day video of Kevin being baptized. In obedience to what he has commanded, it is my honor to baptize you now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The water went in. Well, uh, it was exciting to be baptized. It was exciting to be in cold water. And it was exciting that Paolo got water in his waders. Uh, 
But the most exciting thing about it is that even people who are far away from us, living in other places, in different cities, different countries, different states, can have access to the one God who came to save us. That's the story of the Magi, that there is room for Jesus among the nations. There is room for Jesus among the tribes. There is room for Jesus in our extended family. Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart for, for that kind of God? I'm not talking about a God in case of emergency. I'm not talking about a life coach God. I'm not talking about a God who's a spiritual guru or trainer. I'm talking about a God who wants to be king of your life, who wants to rule on the throne of your heart. Is there room in your heart for him? I, I want to invite you to do one of three things today, to make room for the king in your life today. Secondly, to make room for outsiders in your heart, that the God who welcomed the shepherds and the magi who welcomes all nations and welcome you and me will lead your heart to be a welcoming heart to those who are outside, those who are broken and on the margins, those who are suffering and shunned. Will you open your heart to them? And third and last, make room for the nations in God's church that you would be passionate like God is passionate about all of the people groups on the earth coming to worship him. One day, Eastern scholars knelt before the child Jesus and offered him presents worthy of a king. And one day, when Jesus returns, not as a child, but as a king, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some for joy that they made the right decision before he came. Some to their own regret that their hearts were hardened. Will you pray and give and go until all nations worship him? Stand up and bow your head with me. Father, I thank you for, for the story of the Magi and for all that it means to us, familiar story and yet so rich, showing us who you are, a God bigger than our country, a God bigger than a clan, God bigger than a church, a God who, who redeems all who will trust him through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray today that as we stand before you today and as we think about this incredible event, that we would know our part in, in your story I pray that if there's someone here, God, who's not made you king of their lives, that they would open their heart to you right now and make room in their throne for Jesus. That you would rule and show them righteousness and peace and joy and victory 
and love, that they would be able to extend their faith right now and pray, Jesus, be my king. I worship you. I trust you. Forgive my sins and help me to follow you. God, I pray for those of us whose hearts sometimes can be, can be tribal and for the times that we're exclusive and we leave people out, forgive us. Thank you for reminding us that you came for all people. Help us to be welcoming people to those who are different from us, to those that are like us. And God, help us not to rest as a church until all nations worship you. As we respond to God's word through singing, I wanna invite you to, to make your commitment where you are. Maybe you wanna write it down and where you've been taking notes or maybe you just wanna make a prayer commitment where you are or maybe you wanna to come to the front and kneel. As we sing, you let the spirit lead you and respond.